0: Blog Talk Radio Good morning everyone, welcome to the Women of Golf show, I'm Ted Oderico, and joining me is LPGA professional, Cindy Miller and we are your hosts. We're broadcasting live every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the blogtalkradio.com network bringing you some of the best golfers, teacher professionals, and entrepreneurs helping to elevate women's golf. We're so glad you decided to join us this morning, so grab your coffee and let's get started. All right, good morning everybody and welcome to the Women of Golf Show. Uh, once again, I'm Ted Roderico, and right alongside is LPJ Professional and Legends Tour player Cindy Miller and we are of course your hosts here on the Women of Golf. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning,
1: Ted. How are you?
0: I'm I'm doing pretty good, you know, considering all that's going on. Um, you know, we were just talking a little bit about that off air and uh obviously we're we're talking about the uh lovely virus that's uh upon us and uh it's been a little difficult at times. Uh I've I've actually been hunkered down for several weeks um, and it's allowed me an opportunity to, to get a lot of things done that I need to, to get done. But um, it, it certainly, um, you know, as I was uh, starting to say, it, it's the uncertainty of, you know, how much longer this is going to go and, and, um, and, and what are going to be the long-term ramifications. But uh, how about yourself?
1: Same here, same here. You know, getting a lot of things done, redid a room in the house, uh, creating yeah. an online course. And you know all kinds of good stuff. So that's what it is.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, it is what it is. And and um, you know, there. I, I try to, and as I'm sure you do, you, you try to look at the positives from this. And you know, this has given everybody an opportunity to really, um, you know, kind of hit the pause button a little bit. I think we, we've all gotten so busy. Uh, with our lives and, and so many different things with careers and whatnot that sometimes we forget some of the simple and, and basic things in life and like family and friends and and um this has you know provided an opportunity to, to really reach out and, and connect and, and even reconnect in some cases. So um I try to look at it from that perspective. But anyways, we are going to have a great show this morning. Um a little bit later on we're gonna be joined by uh the other half of the Miller team um uh, cindy's husband alan miller who is a past champion and a life member of the pga tour and uh uh, pga uh, tour champions and uh he's gonna bring us on the second half of the show but once again cindy we are going to enter uh the no bs zone and today i thought we would just talk about um the 20 greatest women golfers of all time and there is quite a a list and i gotta be honest with you and, and i know i didn't send this to you so i apologize i forgot Um, so I will have to sort of fill in some of the blanks. But what was interesting about some of the women on the list, I'm going to start from the highest uh, down to what they rank as number one. And this was actually put out uh, back in around this time in 2018. So uh, there may have been some slight changes, but uh, I think it's pretty solid. But what was interesting, and we can talk about a little bit more in a bit, is that there didn't seem to be any definitive reason why the players got in the way they did. It wasn't based on um, the most majors won or mo- even most tournaments won, um, because there. Were, and as I said, as we get into the conversation, there's some that won more majors um, but maybe less tournaments overall, and vice versa, and yet ranked higher or and or lower depending on on the circumstances. So it's a very odd uh, connection. But um, anyways, so number 20 was Sandra Haney. who I'll be honest, I'm not real real familiar with. Um, and oh, uh, she won four times. Yeah. Well, that's oh, why I thought I'm going to get her on the show. Because, <laughs> yeah, let's get her on. There you go. Um, but but she won four majors, um, including a uh, the 65 and 74 Women's PGA Championship. Uh, she won the 74 U.S. Women's Open and the 1982 Demore Classic, which of course uh, is a tournament I used to watch all the time. She won. Had 42. Uh, victories uh, on the LPGA, Cindy. But what was interesting is, um, much like many of our young players that we've had uh, come on here from the Semetra Tour, she started very, very young. She was 18 18 years old when she joined the LPGA in 1961, and she actually won her first uh, time at the age of 19, so the very next year. So she came out very quick uh, and uh, won her first victory. And then from... Uh sixty-three to seventy five, she finished every season inside the top ten on the money list. So she was quite a powerhouse. So um if you've got something, share share a story uh or or maybe just some thoughts about Sandra.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Keep it clean. Oh, I love her. <laughs> I will, I will, I will. So she is as chill <laughs> as it gets. If you um if you don't understand disc behavior styles, These are competitive control freaks and Tiger Woods. I's are uh, Chi-Chi Rodriguez at Lee Trevino and Christina Kim and love to talk. S's are steady and that is Sandra Haney and C's are conscientious and very uh, detail oriented but um, Sandra Haney and and S's make the best tour players and that's what I married. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who's going to be on the show in 30 minutes. But Sandra Haney and I had to do a thing for the Legends Tour, a clinic. And Sandra Haney doesn't do anything fast. And she's just so smart. So it's funny because D's and S's are total opposites. And I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's hit the ball. And, you know, cause I'm a D and she's an S and she's like, now let's just try to do this first and let's try to get this under control. And, and so I just love her to death. Every time I see her, she just smiles cause she knows, you know, I'm a wacko and, uh, no, she's awesome. In fact, I'm gonna reach out. I'm gonna reach out. I'm gonna get her on the show. She is so good. She just swings and hits the ball, and swings and hits the ball. And I mean, that's what Alan Miller does. It's it's just, she's great. I love her. So,
0: okay, next. Well, we'll definitely. Yeah, stop we'll talking. we'll definitely have to. Yeah, have to. No, that's okay. We'll definitely have to. Now, this one kind of surprised me for for a specific reason. I mean, not that she's on the list, but uh, Lorena Ochoa. Uh, she won two majors. Uh, and 27 LPGA victories. But what was surprising about this was the fact that she retired so very early and so young, uh, I mean, really at the top of her game. Um, you know, I, I, my opinion, I was kind of surprised at that um, because I, I, in my opinion, I think she had a lot of great golf left out on the tour, and I was really surprised when she announced um, back in, in 2010 and obviously, I know she wanted to start a family, but, um, it, it, you know, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts there? I mean, do you do you agree with that? Yeah, or, I mean, again, everybody has their own you, time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If you know anything about or have witnessed Lorena Chola, she's a high S. High S's are um, very shy and quiet and steady and don't like the limelight. They're introverts you know, she got married, she wants a family, has a family, you know, it's like, I don't want this lifestyle. I mean, and and that's the same thing with Mm Annika to be the best in the world at what you do. If it's a professional sport, you, you have to adapt your behavior so much. If you're a high S or C, because they're introverts and they don't want yep. the limelight. So how long can you be someone you're not? And that's why yep. they're like, I'm out of here now. Annika and they both have um uh, foundations. They both help people, you know, but they aren't in the news all the time and people aren't, well, how did she play this week? Why'd she miss the cut? What's wrong with her swing? And, you know, so I don't, <laughs> I commend them. Well, and, it- Yeah.
0: And I agree. I mean, you know, you have to go in your own time and, and, you know, obviously she had other things that she wanted to do. I think, you know, maybe it's from a selfish perspective, I guess, as, as, you know, fans of, of these players, you know, you, you get excited when you see them having, um, you know, some incredible, uh, you know, seasons out there. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, what do you mean? She's retiring and you're thinking you've got so much great game left. And I think it's almost from an envious standpoint too, you know, because you kind of think, well, gosh, if I had your game, I'd be out there cleaning up for the next 20 years. Um, but you're, you're right. I mean, if you're an introvert and you're somebody that's extremely shy, um, you don't want to really be in the limelight. You enjoy the game and you enjoy the challenge of it, but you really don't care about, you know, the other stuff being, you know, having a, a microphone shoved in your face, you know, week after week. And, you know, asking, well, why didn't you do this and why didn't you do that? And so I can understand, I guess, from that perspective. All right, number 18 is Meg Mallon, who I always enjoyed watching her. Uh, she won four majors and a total of 18 uh, LPJ victories. Uh, and she joined uh, the L P J in 1987 and had a really, of, uh, a breakout season in 91, uh, winning four times. And two of them happened to be majors. And uh, she was also... Uh, played a uh, number of years on the uh, Solheim Cup, in fact, eight times, um, and then served as the assistant and captain in two, uh, 2009, and then became a team, a team captain in 2013. Um, any any thoughts or, or stories that uh, you want to share about Meg?
1: Well, again, both Meg and Beth Daniel, which I pulled up the list so I, I can see that Meg is 18 and Beth is 16 and they're good buddies and they, um, they don't want to play anymore. And, and so yeah. you'll find this, I find it strange because once you reach the highest levels of both playing and, and possibly teaching, these two don't teach. They, don't, they, li- they love their life. Yeah. Beth hits balls all the time. She loves to hit balls, which again, high S. Alan Miller loves to Mm -hmm. hit balls. They don't want to play. They do not play in any Legends Tour events, and they could play every time if they wanted to. So I found that so odd because I'm like, what do you mean you don't want to play? Uh, How could you not want to play? But they're sick of it. Alan Miller doesn't play. (laughs) You know, if he gets up in boot camp and hits a shot, I'm like, whoa, 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 let's videotape this. You know,
0: so... (laughs) We'll ask him about, I'm going to ask him about that, why he uh, doesn't want to play. We'll ask him uh, when he comes on. But, well, but yeah, you're, he you're doesn't exactly.
1: care. And it almost seems negative. And, and when I hear his answer, I'm like, wow, you're like bitter. He's not bitter. He's done. <laughs> he doesn't want to play. I'm right. like, okay. Right. And neither does Meg or Beth. And so so here's what we need to understand that they've reached levels that we've not reached. Right. And they're done. Right. There you go. Right, so, exactly. Uh, I love both of them, and I can see well, who the next one is. Go ahead. I'll shut up.
0: Yeah. Uh, Betsy Rawls, uh, who uh, won eight majors, including the 51, 53, 57, and 60 U.S. Women's Open, and had a total uh, career victories on the mm-hmm. LPGA 55. Um, and, you know, she, I I think was, uh, obviously I'm not as familiar with, with Betsy, but, um, you know, again, just incredible when you look at some of the stats that these ladies have have put up on the board. Um, and, you know, she also tied at one point with Patty Berg, uh, in, in stats. And, uh, I I don't know a lot about her, so I I really can't add too much here, but, um, I, I just... You know, just amazing when you look at their their overall records. Um, Sixty nine women's PGA champion as well, uh, as well as the U.S. Women's Open and uh, fifty two and fifty nine Western Open. So, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of majors there. What are your thoughts?
1: She was awesome too. I, again, I'm very grateful because I've met in person, and some I know better than others. But I. Betsy Wells would know who I am, you know, so she's awesome as well. And again, another S I'm learning something here, Ted. Yeah. Good job.
0: Yeah. I want to, I want to, uh, well, that's, that's the point. You know, I'm a firm believer, you know, we're obviously doing this show, which is, you know, geared and, and to, to really foster the growth of of game for women. And I just thought this would be a great discussion to have and just to talk about and sort of showcase some of these, in my opinion, these legends of, of women's golf and many of them not all of them but many of them I watched you know as I was growing up uh you know play and and um and obviously later in life but uh, number 16 as you already mentioned was Beth Daniel now she only won one major which was the 1990 women's PGA championship uh, but she had uh 33 uh, overall victories um and became a member of the Hall of Fame uh and uh what was really interesting about this she won the 2003 Canadian Open at age 46 a very uh, Nicholas style, if you will. Um, she became the oldest winner in, in tour history. Um, you know, which is which is not an easy feat when you when you get a lot of these young players coming up and and challenging you know your records, and you go out at, at age 46 and you you beat the field. Um, that's an accomplishment in itself because um, it's not always easy, as you know, Cindy is oh yeah i i, I loved watch i mean you know again i'm surprised that she didn't win more particularly more majors because she did have an incredible um golf swing but uh again nothing to sneeze at uh, when you look at her her overall records but um but yeah just a, a solid solid player and and um you know i i miss you know players like that uh you know out on on the LPGA uh, the l p j tour and number fifteen was Siri pack Uh, five majors, including uh, the 98, uh, 2002, 2006 Women's PGA Championship. Uh, She won the 98 Women's Open and uh, the 2001 Women's British Open. Overall, uh, 25 uh, tour victories. And she was really, you know, they they talk about here she was a pioneer of women's golf and really credited with with changing the face of golf. Um, Back in 98, of course, when she joined the LPGA, she was... uh, You know, she won two majors, but she was the only Korean player at the time on tour. And here we are, you know, 10 years later, uh, well, probably 12 years now, um, there's 45 um, at that point uh, on the LPGA Tour. So, uh, and also she was the youngest um, to qualify for the World Golf Hall of Fame, which surpassing uh, Kari Webb as the youngest, um, you know, living entrant. So, you know, a lot of great stacks, and she was a very, very solid. I remember watching her many, many times, uh, an incredibly solid, solid player, especially her short game. What are your thoughts? Absolutely awesome.
1: I don't know her, but yes, yeah, great. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah. she just was a, a really, really good player, and, and I think they put it quite right. She really did. You know, what was interesting about that time in women's golf is obviously um, really the two main – Lines of competitors were either uh, American players or European players, and she really opened up the market to uh, other areas that typically, uh, certainly not that they weren't playing golf uh, in their regions, but not to the same level, and when she came on, and especially when she did what she did, you know, five majors and, and many, many wins and getting into the Hall of Fame, um It really opened the door for a lot of young women in Korea and other areas, uh, you know, in the Asian belt, if you will, and said, Hey, you know this is this is something that I can do or I'm excited about, and um, you know the rest is history. I mean, there came a point in time where it seemed it was almost like the Asian tour for a while because there were so many coming in, young women coming in and playing, um, and they started to in a lot of ways at, at times started to dominate um for for a while. So uh very very interesting. I I not real familiar with uh you know what I'm saying? it's just she really opened the yeah. door to a global game. Uh 14 was Amy Alcott, uh five majors again, uh US uh Women's PGA Championship and Women's Open. Uh and her rookie year uh, in 75, um, won her first tournament as a professional in just her third start. Um and uh, just, uh, again, a great season. Uh, and I remember, I think I've said, shared this story, but I remember back a few years ago, I was interviewing Shirley Spork on Golf Talk Live. And she said, she said, uh, you know, after probably about 40 minutes in, in the discussion, she says, well, I got to go. It's Amy Alcott's birthday. And that was it. And the, and the interview was over. And I'll never forget yeah. that. And I thought, okay. It was just you know typical Shirley Spork style, but um, <laughs> but uh, it, it was just funny. Just I mean it abruptly just well I got to go. It's Amy Alcott's birthday, and I'll never forget that it was it was quite uh, humorous at the time. But um, but again five major tournaments, uh, twenty nine uh, victories overall <laughs> in the LPGA tour. Um, here's a, a player Cindy that I always really really enjoyed watching, and she was one of a few that were really I put in the cl- uh, category of feisty, and that's Julie Ingster, number 13. Seven major championships, uh, U.S. Women's Opens, PGA Championships, uh, Demore Classics, so on. Um, and, of course, she went on to captain uh, the Solheim Cup. And just a, a really great uh, 31 victories overall in the LPGA Tour. Uh, any any thoughts on uh, Julie Ingster?
1: I agree. She is feisty. She, but yeah. she's awesome. She's absolutely awesome. Well, I, I think
0: she, yeah, she's, she's just you a, know
1: get out of the way. I'm gonna win.
0: And she's still. And uh, she's really I believe, the uh, the
1: one. Yeah, she still plays. So she's one of the few on this list that mm. has that feisty word.
0: Yeah, um, and I'm there's one I'm going to mention. The them we'll, aren't
1: competitive. Go
0: ahead. Right, but yeah, she was just really yeah she was just really f- and somebody else that came up to to mine and is not on this list and I was really kind of surprised um, was Dottie Pepper. Dottie Pepper won 17 uh, tour victories. Um, certainly not as many as, as some of the others on the list, but she was another player I always put in that feisty category. They were just very very oh for sure. Uh, I would say hyper hyper competitive, and of course she's on Suzanne uh, uh,
1: Patterson, you know,
0: another one. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. Um, I'm gonna just uh, forgive me, but I'm gonna speed up just a little bit uh, just be mindful of time, but Louise Suggs number 12 uh, 11 majors and 61 victories Um, And of course, uh, as most of you know, the history of the game uh, was one of the founding members uh, of the LPGA uh, along with uh, uh, Shirley Spork and of course late Marilyn Smith Um, But just uh, and and got into the World Golf Hall of Fame in 1979 so and also in the uh, the l p j Tour Hall of Fame, which was established back in nineteen sixty seven any any uh, quick thoughts on on louise
1: loved her loved her uh again, awesome. used to play her clubs. she's great,
0: yeah, yeah she's just uh, was a Uh, a real force at the time on the LPGA tour. And and, uh, I know many, many people are very grateful for her. And and of course the other founders as well. Uh, Number 11 is Patty Sheehan, uh, six major wins, um, 35 victories. Uh, Again, a very solid, uh, um, not a real, in my opinion, a really overly aggressive uh, player. I mean, aggressive to a point, obviously, because you've got to, you know, be somewhat aggressive to win, but not just sort of a, maybe I'm wrong, but sort of a steady player. Um, what do you think about that that was that pretty accurate, do you think or
1: yes, love her I'm gonna get her on the show
0: okay um number ten was patty Berg uh fifteen and this is one that surprised me fifteen uh major wins uh including uh, forty six u s open uh won the western open many many times uh as well as the uh title holders championship, which was at that time. Um, the the name of the major but uh, 60 wins overall Um, I was really surprised that she wasn't a little higher up in the list um, given as many majors and and 60 wins overall but uh, obviously has been a uh, a great uh, a great force in in golf and um, also she volunteered for the US Marine Corps and was commissioned as a second lieutenant in 1942 in the Marine Reserves from 42 to 45. So uh, in addition to being a great player, she was also serving her, her country. So just a, a great uh, lady overall. Uh, Pat Bradley uh, is next on the list. Uh, nine, uh, Sorry, six major wins, number nine on the list, sorry. Uh, L J victories were 31 over, over top. And again, Women's PJ Championship was among the majors and U.S. Women's Open. Uh, also the DeMoria Classic uh, that she won three times um she won the uh uh she was one of um I guess to complete the uh, LPJ's career grand, grand slam and uh she also won the Nabisco Down LPGA LPJ Champions uh which was three of the four majors at that time so um just a great player as well Betsy King um sorry I didn't mean to be speeding on but I want to move on uh so we're not to, to late with uh, Alan. uh Betsy King uh uh six majors uh l p j victories thirty four uh, again just a a great great uh player any any thoughts there
1: no just awesome i am surprised yeah. Kari webb list. i'm looking at it real quick yeah go ahead
0: yeah yeah Kari webb seven seven major championships forty one victories um and uh one of the most active certainly on the tour um, she's just been, um, you know, just a, a, a real powerhouse and, and one that's really, really, um, I would say a little bit more aggressive in her play, uh, than some of the others that we've, we've mentioned. And again, they're all, um, uh, well-accomplished players, but some were a little bit more subdued, I guess, uh, or subtle on the, on the field, but Kari was always, uh, always went for it. Uh, it seemed, and, and just was a great player uh Joanne Carner. I'm not real familiar with her I did watch her over the years but uh I'm sure you might uh, know her a little obviously better but uh, uh major wins uh too um both US Women's Open and 43 victories uh overall in the LPGA and uh
1: yep and she just had her 80s, 81st birthday I love Big Mama wow. she came to our wedding
0: yeah. <laughs> There you go that's uh, something else that should be on the list Nancy Lopez is one of my one of my favorite players. uh, In the number five spot, uh, won three majors, 48 uh, uh, victories overall, and her majors were the Women's PGA Championship in 78, 85, and 89. Uh, Her first season, of course, was in 78, and uh, was just a really. I always equated her, and I know they had a very close friendship, but I always equated her as the Arnold Palmer of women's golf. She just had such a great, yeah. great yeah. way about her. It was a, a, an incredible ambassador. I mean, when you look at her stats compared to, uh, certainly, again, nothing to sneeze at, but when you compare them to some of the others on the list, um, you know, she wasn't as, um, uh, you know, as big of a winner as some of the others, but she just epitomized, um, in my opinion, uh, that ambassadorship for the game. She's just done so much and continues even this day. Uh, giving back with so many different charities and things that she's involved with. Um, this one here, of course, which is uh, a side note, in addition to winning six majors and 88 uh, LPJ victories, she was our very first guest on the women of golf show, uh, golf show. And of course, I'm talking about Kathy Whitworth. Uh, she's been on actually a couple times now, but um, she is just uh, again. Uh, and that was the uh, more victories than, uh, she actually is six more than Sam Sneed's record of 82 on the PGA. Um, so, and, uh, she was the first player in LPJ history to reach the $1 million mark in career earnings. So lots of great accomplishments and she's just so giving of her time. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah. I'm surprised she's not higher on the list to be honest with you.
0: That's well, when I said at the very beginning at the top of that, uh, segment, uh, of the segment I, I said to you that there were kind of some surprises I thought she would have been a little bit higher up um and and it just kind of didn't make sense and and here's a, a good point and so I'm not sure what the what the gauge was for this but the next on uh, number three is Babe Zaharis uh I won 10 majors including uh, again uh, women's open and uh 41 victories um she was obviously a, an incredible uh player and and um and won two gold medals in track and field in the the 1932 olympics um but i was surprised at that i mean she's you know won four more majors than kathy but um about half as many or less than half as many overall victories um so it it just i wasn't really sure what the with the barometer or measuring stick if you will um number two was uh mickey wright Uh, again 13 majors uh, 82 lpj victories. so i could certainly understand why she would be up in this list um won three u.s women's opens 59 61 and 64 um and interesting side note ben hogan uh said a right swing that it was the best he had ever seen um and she just uh was second all time uh behind patty Berg's record of 15 uh majors and then of course the number one cindy that you've already had mentioned uh annika sorenstam uh, major wins 10, including the Women's Open, the Women's British Open, PGA Championship, and, and others, um, and was the winner of record eight times Player of the Year awards uh, and six VAR trophies. Um, just a, a, an incredible, and again, you know, very much like um, uh, Lorena Ochoa uh, decided, you know what, it's time for a family, and I'm going to exit golf in this capacity as a player and just had had enough, and decided to uh, do other things. Is still involved in golf in other ways through her academy and and uh, foundations and so forth. But um, just decided that was uh, that was what she was going to do. What, what are your thoughts here?
1: Again, you know, I, I want to have children and give back to the game and help other girls and women get, you know, enjoy and master the game of golf. So God bless her. I don't blame her. I, again, you. Let me just say one thing. When Tiger Woods, I think it was 2000, at the Canadian Open, and again, Alan, my mm-hmm. husband, is a lifetime past champion of the PGA Tour, so we can go anywhere. We get credentials as if, you know, I get the wives' pin and the money clip, or he gets the money clip. And So we took the kids to Canadian Open, and we were waiting for Tiger to come out of the locker room to come and hit balls. And when he came, all the people that were around him, Jamie's mouth, we have three children, but he's the player. He's the middle one. Right. His mouth dropped open, and he's like, oh, my gosh. I mean, it was like, what is life like for this guy? Right? He can't go anywhere without anyone recognizing him. So when you are that much of a star, now again, it's more for Tiger Woods than it would be for Anika. I could go to the grocery store in Buffalo and, you know, most people wouldn't know who she is. But when you're not looking for the limelight and you achieve, you know, all of your goals, it's time to be done and do something else. And God bless us. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I often wonder, and, I just wonder sometimes, and, and then we'll wrap up, you know, when you get to that level, when you have that competitive fire and those competitive juices uh, running, if there isn't a point, and, and I know you're you you're, you're probably going to say, or have the answer to this, but I, I wonder if some of these players that have sort of exited like, like Lorena and like Annika, if those competitive fires are still there, um, and if they miss that competitiveness, or is there other um, other you know juices flowing, if you will, or, or competitiveness or desires overtake that, overshadow it at some point? Is that kind of what happens? Do you think that they just you know they're while they're in the hunt, they're highly competitive, well, but then they're coming again. It point depends on where, where it kind their of
1: motivators. It depends on what motivates them to action, and you know, needless to say most of our listeners understand or know that I'm certified in behavior and motivation and we do a lot of corporate training and I'm motivated economically. Now that doesn't mean that everything I do has to have a money sign, a dollar sign, you know, buy it. But what it does mean is, so let's talk about the U S women's senior open. Now, Annika didn't play. Well, why wouldn't she play? Well, I don't think she's 50 yet, but will she play when she's 50? Well, they have to stop and say, why do I want to get up off the chair and go hit balls? How much time and energy is it going to take? Because you know and I know that even if you're a superstar, you've got to practice, right? So you right. weigh yep. the work with the weight and the win. And is it? am I willing to do that? You know, uh, why do I have to do that? What am I going to get out of it? And I'm not saying that that's what she's motivated by. So others are motivated by helping other people. And it would be interesting to find out what their motivation ranking is. There's seven different motivators. But clearly, uh, Lorena and Annika must be motivated altruistically, which is helping other people. Annika does a great job with her foundation. So again... They got to stop and say, why am I hitting balls? And do I really want to do this? And do I need the money? You know, again, I I do it because I needed to prove to myself the dream I had when I was 17 years old wasn't just a nightmare that would haunt me. So it was worth it to me to get out and hit balls. But to others, they're like, what are you, crazy? Well, I would never do that. So we can't, we judge because what motivates them is not what motivates us. So I'm done.
0: Well, and yeah, and, no, that's fine. And and we're basing it on obviously what we see, you know, visually on television. You know, we see them out there competitive and, and then all of a sudden it, it kind of, and it doesn't really in this way, but it seems to us, you know, after however many years it kind of comes to a screeching halt and you're kind of sitting, here scratching your head. Well, wait a minute, you know, you're still, you know, you're number one, number two or what have you, or you're still highly competitive in the top 10 every week. Why would you want to stop that? So it's hard for us to understand, but again, we're not inside. We're not... You know, in their mind, thinking you know they're probably at the point saying, "Oh, I can't do another week." You know, there's other priorities in my life. You know, it's interesting too. Just a quick note, and then we'll bring Alan out. Is I remember an interview uh, several years back when the Champions Tour was first uh, sort of breathing life, uh, and Jack Nicklaus, um, had, you know, was hitting that point. He was asked about that um, very thing. You know, are, are you going to you know come out in, on the Champions Tour? And really. I was surprised at his as competitive and, and that um, as he was that he, he was really hesitant about, you know, wanting to make that commitment. And obviously Arnold Palmer, I think was instrumental and, in, you know, cause they were trying to get the tour going and, and wanted to have some big names out there to really, you know, uh, ignite a fire. But his initial thought was, you know, I've played a lot of golf and I love golf, but there's other things in my life and I'm he wasn't really keen on, Uh, Now I I know he did come out and and compete in that, but uh, I don't think he really enjoyed it as much as what people might, might think. And that's just my thought. I'm not in his head and, you know, I haven't had personal conversations with, with Jack, but that was, I remember watching that interview and I was really surprised at that with this competitive fire that he has had over his career, that he was really not that excited about getting out on the champions tour at that time. Um, Now it may have changed that that viewpoint later on, but it was interesting. Um, But, um, Great segment. I, I enjoyed uh, going over, it and as I'm sure you were, I was surprised at some of the people on the list, and and surprised that some others uh, weren't on that list. But um, um, but we're going to bring uh, Cindy's other half, Alan, on the show. Uh, he is, uh, as we mentioned, he is a past champion, life member of PGA Tour and PGA uh, Tour champions, uh, ranked number two in America, uh, amateur in America, in '69 and 1971. Uh, he was a member, 1969 and 71, of the Walker Cup team, and 1970, the Eisenhower World Cup team, uh, competed in over 15 major championships, including five ma- uh, masters, and he is the second purest ball striker ever tested by short game guru, Dave Pells. and he is also author of Short Game Bible and the Putting Bible. So let's welcome uh, Cindy's uh, partner, uh, Mr. Alan Miller.
2: Morning, we're We're partners, huh? Good. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) Now we have to get that mixed team for old farts going. (laughs) Yeah, well,
1: Well, as Alan would say, I would be like, oh, you're going to hit balls. And he goes, hey, it doesn't take long for a Rolls Royce to warm up. (laughs) Hey, by the way, we
2: won one of those before. Remember that.
1: We did. We did. We did. So let's start off if you.
2: Go ahead.
0: You don't mind Cindy, because I know you, you get to, to chat with Alan every day. Um, welcome first <laughs> off, Alan. Thank you for, for joining us this morning. Thank you. Um, glad Cindy, to be here. We were talking in Well, thank you. Uh, we were talking in the first segment um, you know, about sort of the desire to play and and you know when we were going over the top twenty list of, of uh, women mm-hmm. golfers of all time. And uh Cindy made a comment that was kind of interesting and I just want to get your perspective on this is um there came a point in time where you really didn't enjoy playing as much. Um, why was right. that? What was what was the reasoning behind
2: that? Well, you 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 something I was listening to this last segment and go back just real quick to Nicholas and Arnold. You know, they're two different types of personalities. Uh Jack had already proven everything he needed to prove in golf. He had nothing more to prove in playing the game. And he was he was more of a quiet person. he you know he's a nice guy, but didn't like the the limelight per se, jumping around with crowds and stuff where Arnold thrived on the right. on the people screaming and yelling <laughs> in the background and and he wanted to be out amongst them all the time. Both of them had proved they were great players, but Arnold still liked the the accolades and all the other stuff where Jack couldn't have cared less that way um, so that that when you get to a point like that that uh, you don't need that certain thing in your life. You move on to something else. Um, I was the same way. I, I was I, the satisfaction of me playing good was vitally important. But as far as you know, getting the pat on the back because you played great, I, I didn't need that. You know, I, I remember one time up here, a guy asked me at a club, at a, from a club, that I, a kid that I was teaching from a club said, "Hey, I got a guy that wants to bet me ten thousand dollars that you can that his the club champion can beat you if you went out and played. Will you take the team straight in the eye? And I said, "No. I said number one, I have nothing to prove." I've already been to the top mm-hmm. where that guy will never go, and I have no need to prove that anymore. Now, what I could he beat me? I maybe have. Who cares? I don't really – couldn't have cared less. But I'm not going to put myself right. through that frustration. Well, I don't think Jack really cared about why should I keep practicing. I've had, I've worked on this all my life, and I want to do other things in life, like you said, and I don't need the accolades mm-hmm. of the people yelling at me in the background. So I think that makes a big difference. I was never one to, to you know, need the crowd yelling. You know, I didn't have the crowd yelling at me that much anyway, but – you know, once you once you're done, you're done. You know, you I tell use the example of my dad was a doctor or a doctor, or a lawyer, or whatever. You know, once they retire, they don't go back to see if the office is still there. You know, some some people do right. go continue on in their in their their profession a little bit on the side, but most people when they retire, they don't go back to the office. And that's kind of the way I looked at it and it's kinda of the way I'm sure Jack kinda of felt about it.
0: Would would it be fair to say, Alan, real quick, and then and then Cindy? I, I know you probably have some mm-hmm. things that you want to talk about. But um, would it be fair to say that you would have been just as happy playing in that competitive round, but with no crowds?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I the, the game. My satisfaction from the game was not the accolades. It was from the personal satisfaction of hitting good shots, and it didn't matter, you know, where it was, or <clears throat> excuse me, it didn't matter where it was, or what tournament it was, or anything else like that. I was kind of like Ben Hogan. Ben Hogan would rather stay on the range for six hours. And playing was just a necessity. Right. I mean, you can't win tournaments, you can't make money playing. But uh, the right. real satisfaction came from just, there, just standing there hitting balls and trying to hit perfect shots or good shots and perfecting whatever you did. So I was more that way, and, and you know, I didn't need the playing part. Um, so it was easier for me to step away in that respect.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, when I think of some of the players, when you say that, and I think of some of the players over the years, that, particularly on, on the men's tours, that really played to the crowds. Of course, Arnold Palmer uh, is, is first and foremost. But, you know, another player was Lee Trevino. I think without the crowds, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, it, you know he played to the crowds and, and exactly. actually to the detriment of Nicholas. You know, I guess I remember Nicholas. Well, that that that's he he and T. T.
2: Rodriguez was that. T.T. Right. Rodriguez and, yeah. was the same way. I mean, they <laughs> – they were in. A, they were more entertainers, as much entertainers as they right. are golfers. And you know that, right. that takes a special personality to do that.
0: Right. Exactly.
2: Um, well said, uh, Cindy. Go ahead.
1: Um. Uh. <laughs> Hello. <laughs>
2: I've got my talking points right in front of me. In other words, I'm well prepared if you want to ask a talking point question.
1: Hey, one of the All right, guys. I'm gonna go right there. Bet, reads, points, best. Re- go ahead. He reads directions. First talking right, point on. on the
2: sheet from Ted and Cindy was this, ladies and gentlemen. Best tip you ever you ever gave, and then the second was the right. best tip you ever received. And I'm gonna tell you what they're one and the same. And the best tip that I ever received, backtracking was from Big Mama Joanne Carner, who you are talking about in the last segment. And we right. were down in Corning, Corning, New York at the Corning Classic before we got married, and Cindy was playing. <clears throat> and my game in, on the PJ Tour, I, I got to a point in my career where I could not hit a green with a sandwich from 50, 60, 70 yards. I was still good around the edges of the greens and still good out of bunkers. But I could not get it on the green to save my life. And and my friends would turn their head every time they saw me have to have a 50- or 60-yard wedge shot so they didn't have to watch. In fact, it got so bad that I was hitting hitting six irons on second shots on par five so I could have a 125-yard shot in the green rather than trying to get it close enough to hit a wedge if I couldn't reach the green, which I couldn't do that often. So anyway, we're, Joanne was playing. We watched her play after Cindy had played. And she had some great wedge shots from around the greens. And I went, wow. But I saw a top about three or four fairway woods, five woods, five hybrids. Oh, I didn't have hybrids in but five woods, three woods off the fairway. So anyway, she said, would you and Cindy like to come over and barbecue with us tonight? We'll cook some steaks out by our trailer. Because even though they had a lot of money, again, going back to the other segment, uh, things people like to do and why you would quit, uh, they like to pull a trailer. So we went over their trailer, and they cooked some steaks. And while we were cooking the steaks, Joanne said, hey, Alan, would you mind watching me hit a few fairway woods? And I said, of course I would watch, I'd watch you." So she got up, and she took out her five wood, and she dead topped it about three in a row. And I looked at her, and I said, Joanne, what in God's name are you trying to do with that three or five wood, whatever it was? I, she said, looked at me right in the eye, and she said, well, obviously I'm trying to get it in the air. I can't get it in the air. I said, Joanne, do you try to get that wedge of yours in the air? And she said, no. I said, well, I want you to walk up and just pretend you have that wedge in your hand and make a full swing like it's a 70-yard wedge shot. And she got up, and she launched that hybrid, or a five-wood, excuse me, and, and or a three-wood again, whatever it was, hit a perfect golf shot. She said, really? That's all I got to do? I said, yeah. So then she, I said, hey, by the way, Joanne, will you watch me hit a couple wedges? Because I've tried everything. Uh, one person's telling me to hold the angle, and the first time it rotates to rotate through, blah, 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 blah. She said, yeah, I'll watch it. So I got up, and I did sideways a couple of wedges in a row, one way right, one way left, and she almost started laughing. And I said, what do I, what do, I do, Joanne? She said, "She looked at me. and She said, Alan, back at you. She said, I know you're one of the best drivers on the PGA Tour. Walk up and pretend you have that driver in your hand and make a full swing and just let it go. And I said, really? So I walked up with my sand wedge, made a full swing, hit it 70 yards, perfect, perfect straight shot, and I've been a good wedge player ever since. So that was by far the best tip I've ever received. But go back to the other one, the best tip you ever gave. And I've done that a couple of times. But just recently, while I was working with Chelsea D'Antonio, who you've had on the show before, who's trying to get her game in the next right. level for the tour possibly someday. And we were working on – I was watching her swing, and this one little part of this backswing was really bugging me and why she would come across the top so much. And I just went, oh. Then I compared while we were sitting in Orlando at the last boot camp when she was visiting with us, and they're all gone to bed, and I'm watching on my iPad, and I'm saying, there's something here that's holding her back from being able to duplicate what she does, what I'm trying to get her to do, blah, Mm blah, blah. So I put a driver swing or a driver on a fairway wood swing next to a five or six iron it was, and I went, oh, my God, that's all it is. So I told her the next day, I said, I want you to walk out and pretend you got your driver in your hand when you got that seven iron in your hand, and immediately... The backswing that we'd been working on looked exactly like I wanted it to do, and she wasn't coming over anymore. So, the mind plays tricks on you, and it tries to it tries to make you do things with certain things that you don't need to do, or, or when you get scared, you try to help it. So, for the best tip I've ever given somebody else, it was Chelsea, and it and it works. I've done it other times before too, but it really works. You can, you know how many times you heard somebody say, "Well, my seven iron is my favorite club, but I hate my five iron." Well, that's all in their head. The the swing's the same no matter what club it is. But when you get that kind of reaction in your your subconscious mind, you're going to try to help it, and it can hurt you to not make a good swing. So, you know, either way, it worked for me, it worked for her, and I think people need to say, you know, if I don't like a club, hit one shot with that club, but go back to the one you like the most and see if you can just duplicate whatever it feels like to you when you do it. Just pretend trick that mind into doing something you can be successful. You've already been successful doing it. You can have a lot more success with the ones that scare you the most. Yeah. And that
0: really goes to, well said, Alan, that really goes to prove the point that golf is really in your head because, you know, so many people get out, you see them out in the range and they're tinkering around with, with how they're hitting the ball and, and, and this and that and the other. And a lot of times they get out there and then when they transition to the first tee, it's like the person that was hitting those great shots on the range suddenly disappeared or went home, right. um, and they're doing all all kinds of things. So it's it's really very interesting and, and a great point that you made. Um, Cindy, go ahead. So I, let me, I let me, let me <laughs> jump
2: in on that. If, Sorry, go ahead. if I were to ask yep. you, would I hear somebody say, you know, I can do it on the range, but I can't do it on the course, or I can make a good swing when the ball's not there, but I can't do it when the ball's there? What's the real problem? Well, the real problem is the ball or the course, not whether you can do it or not. Okay, if you can make a good swing, you can make a good swing whether the ball there or not. If you can stay focused on what you're doing, but some so many times we let either the ball overtake us, kind of the ball can win, or we try to perform on the course and can't precision motion that we've been working on on the range. So it's not whether you can do it or you can't do it; it's whether you do do it or you don't do it, and that's a, that's a big issue for most people and most golfers, including tour players.
0: Right, right, exactly, um, Cindy.
1: Okay, bunker play. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, our daughter Kelly calls it. I'm a, she says I'm a good bunker outer. So, <laughs> tell us how you practice getting out of greenside bunkers and why you're so good at it.
2: Well, way back when, when I was like 12 or 13 years old, the club pro at my club at Pensacola, Florida, Pensacola Country Club was a Canadian Canadian he'd been there for a long time before he was an old man but like I am now and he was a great bunker player so he helped me learn how to hit a bunker shot and main thing he says don't be scared of the sand the sand's your friend you have to let the club go into the sand and just let it splash through the sand don't try to dig it out but he said Alan you're gonna have to stay in here for hours and hours to get good at it once you get good at it you'll never lose it but you got to practice it practice it practice it well we had a perfect place to practice it in my club there so i could just go out and my dad would drop me off the course in the morning and i'd stay there all day and i could just in the bunker for hours and hours and hours and you know again once you learn it you never lose it but the problem i have with sand shots for most people and you send he knows i hate to teach that at the golf school that we do because i know people will not spend the time they need to to get adequate at it or get really good at it just the nature of the beast and if they're not going to practice it, there's no need in worrying about it. Just accept you can't, you're not going to be a good, bunk, decent bunker player. You can't be afraid of the sand. The sand is your friend. Sand gets between the face of the club and the ball, and the ball rides out on a bed of sand. But you have to work on it, and you have to practice it to overcome that fear and that urge. I'm sitting in the car outside of Silver Creek right now, and when there's four feet of snow in my driveway, my urge is to get out of the driveway is to gun it. And I know if I gun it, mm-hmm. I'm just going to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. so I've learned over the years just to try to ease the ease the car out of the snow and get it loose, same as in Florida, trying to drive on the beaches. You know if you just gun it out there, you're going to dig deeper and deeper. You have to slowly take off in the sand and you let some sand out or some air out of the tires to flatten the surface. Well, that's what bounce on a wedge is for, and the, letting the air out of the tires is going to give you more mass to to go through the sand, so it doesn't dig, it's not a sharp edge. And that that'll help you get out of the keep you know drive on the beach. Well, same thing with sand wedge; it's already built to help you. And you could take your sand wedge and just kind of let it fall into the sand and watch it. It'll just kind of splash the sand and kind of slide through it. It won't dig at it. But if you try to just slam it in there, it's just going to dig a deep hole. So that it's a lot of it again goes back into your head. It's not technique; it's how you learn to use the technique and to be able to develop it. You got to practice it.
0: Great tip, Alan. Thank you.
2: Now, I, um, I'm looking on my sheet here, and they say fairway bunker. No. <laughs> the, hardest shot no, golf, no. the hardest shot in golf is a 50 or 60-yard wedge shot out of a bunker. Okay, that's the hardest shot in golf. The second shot, in my opinion, the second hardest shot in golf is a fairway bunker. Now, the technique on a fairway bunker is no different than a normal golf shot. Basically, you got to try to anchor your feet a little bit so you don't slide, but but the problem is you've got to catch it dead perfect, okay? It's like playing zero-double-zero on a roulette wheel in Vegas. you got to hit it every now and then, but your odds of hitting it are slim, way slimmer than if you, hit, you bet on the red or the black. Well, a fairway bunker is a tour player like myself. will do anything we can to stay out of a fairway bunker. We know how to hit the shot, but we got to catch it perfect. So I'm not going to re- take my chances on hitting zero-double-zero in Las Vegas very often. I'm going to try to stay out of it. So I might lay up short of it. Or really try to fly it on it or play way away from it to stay out of, even though I know how to hit the shot. The same thing for a 50, 60 yard wedge shot. Because you're not able to make a completely full swing on those, again, you've got to catch it dead perfect. And that's different than the technique from a sand shot around the green. That's more of a splash shot around the green. But now you're making a fuller swing. But your percentages of pulling off are way slim. So you've got to be able to weigh the odds. What Can I really pull this off? And how well am I? What are my expectations on the shot? I've got to. 50-50 chance of pulling off, well, that's not even the same as Vegas on zero-double-zero. So I'm going to catch something good, but I'm going to miss hit more often than not. So the main thing is just stay out of them. Use your course management ahead of time. I don't want to have a 50- or 60-yard bunker shot. I don't want to be in the fairway bunker. I'm going to do everything I can to stay out of those. Done. You know, and, and that goes into really
0: what I wanted to, to... – for us to talk about next, and I put down mm-hmm. here five tips. You don't have to obviously give us five, but really to navigate any round and 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 course management. Obviously, I think is front and center. <clears throat> and just as you pointed out, you have to understand what your percentages of executing any given shot, whether it be out of a bunker or or not. And I think this is where a lot of amateurs fail: is they spend so much time on trying to perfect, um, you know, hitting the perfect shot, but then when they get out in the golf course, they don't know how to put the, the shots together in order to, you know, reduce their score. So talk a little bit of when you're talking with a student, um, whether it be at boot camp, Alan, or, or out in a lesson, and you're trying to help them understand how to navigate uh, around the course, what are some of the things that you, you advise them?
2: Well, the first thing I, I, when I saw that question on there, I've had five answers and they're all the same. Focus, 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 <laughs> focus, focus, and focus. Because what happens is people get out on the golf course and they just start walking up and whacking it. It's like, kind of like getting in a car. And, and you don't even know where the road is. You know how to drive the car. If you don't even know where the road is, you have no idea where you're trying to go and you have no idea how to get there. Okay, so you got to be able to lay out a plan somewhat uh, where you want to go, how you're going to get there, and what's the best and most efficient way to get there. The driving of the car is the easiest part. Now, you need to know how to drive a car. Okay, and that's what we work on on the range, how to drive the car or swing a golf club. But once you know how to do that to some level of skill, then it's a matter of getting out there and being able to know where you're going, how you're going to get there, what's the best way. So course management, like when I played play the tour, we'd go out and look at a hole and say, I mean, you've heard on TV sometimes that this hole doesn't suit mm-hmm. their eye. It means they can look at right. it and say, you know, that, my normal shot pattern doesn't play for this hole. If I'm a left-to-right player and it's a dogleg right-to-left, it may not suit my eye, so I have to figure out a, a, a way to navigate that but not try to be as aggressive as somebody that the hole might suit there. If they were a draw, hit a big hook and it's a right-to-left dogleg, they might be able to try to get it around there. But if it does, you're not that kind of player, you got to say, what's the smart way, what's the best way I can get my car there and not have an accident and be safe and just go on to the next hole? Now, if I'm comfortable and no police out of the road and it's a straightaway, I might be able to go a little <laughs> faster and get away with something. But I have to be careful because you never know and that, that airplane might be over you, too, watching your speed as you go along. In other words, what's the options that I have within the game that I do have and the way the golf hole is designed? You know, same thing. We did a thing with uh, the Nike Golf Camp way back when when I was teaching some of those years ago. And we had a bunch of kids in a room. And, and my friend Bob Winters put a slide up on a, on a screen and said, what is the first thing you see when you look at this slide? And it was a hole with a lot of water around the green, kind of like 17 in TPC, but longer. And the difference was behind the green, they had a, a big mound and a couple of uh, fair, uh, sand traps. And it was, it was a lot bigger green. And the first thing every kid said they saw, we had to write it down. The first thing every almost every kid saw was the water. I don't want to go in the water. I don't want to go in the water. And he, asked, he said, Alan, what did you see on this hole? And I said, well, I see those, fairway, those bunkers. Not fairway, but I see those bunkers and mound behind the green. He said, why do you see that? I said, because that's a safe place to miss it. All they saw was Mm -hmm. the water. I don't want to go in the water. That's where I don't want to be. And what my my visual was is where do I want to miss it to? Okay, well, that's course management. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you learn? And you have to learn to do that. What do you learn? Where do I want to miss this shot? Because I know Cindy said on the air a lot of times, you know, it's not golf is a game of good misses, not not your best shots. You know, he misses his best wins. So I want to be able where's a safe place to play this shot? Well, same as driving the car. Where's the safest road for me to go? I can go these back roads, but I might get lost. Where's the safest place for me to go? So that's all course management, but most people don't do that, and that goes back to focus, focus, focus. Are you just walking up and whacking mm-hmm. a ball and, and hope it goes where you want it to go, or did you plan on what the hole looked like before you got up there? And that, a lot of that stuff you can do ahead of time, especially if you've played a golf course before or you have the yardage book. You know the layout of the hole. Kind of look at it and say, what am I, where, where am I going to be going? Or today's ago, you can go on the internet and look at the 18 holes on a golf course and kind of plan ahead for tomorrow. Where do you want to play the hole, and how do you, how is the best suited you to play? That to me is the biggest way, the biggest thing that people don't do. They make have no no idea where they're trying to go and how they're gonna get there.
0: Yeah, and you can identify that very easily when you watch people how they warm up and how they practice. Um, you know, especially in a longer practice session, if they're just sort of raking and hitting balls and not really with with any sort of purpose out there uh, or or plan. I mean, even though you're you're on the driving range, you can pretend and imagine that you're playing specific holes and and uh, and, and and sort of instill that course management into your your practice routine. And a lot of people that don't, and right. when they get out to the you know, to the golf course, Alan. You know as well as I do that they—they just—they don't have a plan. That's the problem: is they don't prepare. They don't have a plan. Um, Cindy, I, I know we've got a lot of questions left. We'll have to have Alan come back again. But um, any final question or, or thoughts uh, that you want to talk with Alan?
1: No, I'm just glad that I asked him to marry me, so I could get so much smarter.
2: I <laughs> <laughs> <Well>, oh <my laughs> love God. you, honey. Well, Alan, I love you, too. Everybody, everybody, please stay safe. The world, especially the golf world, will probably never be the same again. Let's make the best of what we can out of this problem we have going on right now in the world.
0: Uh, I agree. Well, Alan, thank, thank you, you very, very much for, for coming on and joining us this morning, and we will definitely have you back on uh, a little bit a later in the season, and we'll uh, we'll have to uh, uh, continue on with, with some of the questions, but thank you very much, and you guys be safe, and uh, we appreciate you coming on, and and joining us this morning and, and sharing some, some very valuable insight into the game. So on behalf of Cindy Miller, I'm Ted Odarico. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this morning on the Women of Golf. God bless, and we'll see you next week right here on the Women of Golf. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks.
1: Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening this morning to the Women of Golf show. Tune in live each week by visiting blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf or on any of these social media platforms itunes stitcher TuneIn, Castbox, TalkStream live and of course spotify if you can't join us live check out our on demand section for previously aired broadcasts to get updates for future shows and upcoming guests you can follow us on facebook at women of golf you can also follow me on twitter at ted and Buck ceo and cindy at cindy miller golf please remember to join us next week on the women of golf show see you next time This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.